Morgan! 36 hours after finding John, and the day before the funeral, I visited the morgue. Morgan? You here? Is that Dora I hear? To what do I owe the pleasure of this visit? You're chipper today. Why wouldn't I be? It is a perfect weekend for a funeral. What can I do for you? I'm actually here to see the sheriff. I think Jory's having a lot of problems processing this whole thing. Thought I'd take a look to confirm your dad's cause of death. You know, so she doesn't have to. I'm recording it for her, if that's okay with you. Anyone else, I'd say no, but for you, I'll make an exception. He's back here on the table. I hadn't been to the Morgan months. Even Morgan's luminous golden hair and blithe attitude didn't make me regret that absence. I was waiting on my assistant before starting the embalming process, but he's been properly stored, so we aren't too far into decomposition yet. Shouldn't be too much to stomach. Good morning, Sheriff. Oof. You and I do not have the same tolerance for this stuff, Morgan. Oh, don't be silly. Okay, so here we have the bullet hole. And, as you can see from the opposite side of the skull, the bullet went straight through. 45 caliber bullet, and it was found across the room. What room? Living room. Now, here's the interesting part. He was still wearing his standard issue 45 caliber Glock in his work holster. It was his vintage Colt revolver he used, which he kept locked in a glass display case. That's so weird. And we're sure it was a suicide? The gunpowder burns on his skull show close range, and that's why my dad ruled it a suicide. Wouldn't there be residue on his hands if he shot himself with a revolver? Well, freak things happen. Not every autopsy is the same, and not every diagnosis is perfect. If only the dead could talk, we'd know so much more. But they can't, so we make our best guesses. And I say again, oof. I gotta bounce, but I'll pass this info on to Jory. And I'll see you both tomorrow. Don't you just love how a funeral brings people together? search of one missing person, the remnants of corrupted reputation, and the darkness of our hometowns. This is That Creepy Podcast.
provide it then. Time's up. You have company. Thanks for listening. Day of the funeral. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about it? It's not your fault, Jory. Or Dora's. Or mine. The coroner said... Well, you know what Morgan said. I think she's wrong. Look, it's okay. This is a classic survivor's guilt. And it's manifesting as denial. I saw it all the time in New Orleans. A partner would die. Maybe even someone you didn't like or get along with. And everyone would react differently. One person would act like they were best friends. Someone else would pretend like it never happened. You gonna be okay? I don't know. Well, we gotta get going anyway. Dora's meeting us at the funeral. Black. The color of mourning in the inside of your haunted childhood closet. Dora's color. I hated wearing black. Yet, there I sat, riding shotgun in Lawrence's Ford LTD, dressed in the only black dress I owned. A puffy, ghastly number filled with tool and bad memories. I fidgeted with the itchy layers. Lawrence drove silently, taking us over the city border. It was 7 a.m. I hadn't slept last night. Finding John a few days before had thrown me into a manic depression not seen since my teens. Maybe not even then. After John and I talked, Dora had grabbed Lawrence by the collar and drug him from the room, closing the door. I had sat and listened to the low whispers of Dora and Lawrence's usual bickering. Except this time I knew it was about me. Part of me felt terrible. I had lied to her. Told her I'd only vaguely known John when in reality, we'd spent time together outside of our interactions at the library. I had lied to everybody. If Lawrence hadn't asked the right questions, I'd probably still be lying to them. John and I's outing together happened mere days before his disappearance was announced, and I'd had to make hard choices on who to trust. Turns out old habits die hard. I had chosen nobody. Clearly, I had chosen wrong. Still, that didn't change the fact that I was pissed at Dora for drugging me. This was the mental spiral I was going down when Lawrence broke my fuming silence. John was fine in my apartment last night, but I dropped him off at Oakland House before picking you up. Dora and I are talking about finding him a place here in Harker. Before you say anything, we asked him, and he thinks it's a good idea. He's tired of running and wants the stability. I don't blame him. But he's not safe here. We have no idea where his dad is. There's too many variables. He says he hasn't seen his dad in a week but we're pretty sure that's who broke into the library when you were there. So he's probably still in town. But you're missing the optics here, Jory. Let me paint you a word picture. I, an ex-cop, have been assisting a suspect currently involved in an arson case. And now I'm housing a man presumed dead. Twice. Not to mention you perjuring yourself in John's case. I don't know what our next move is, but we'll need law enforcement on our side at some point. It's unwise to keep John in my place long-term, and Dora doesn't feel safe housing him. He was right. Fine. I guess I want to go home too, then. Now that the tunnel's taken care of. Yeah. I can't believe you never noticed that thing. Not even you would explore a crawl space for fun. 
So you've been staying at Doors without talking to her? Yep. You know, Doors' morals are unconventional, but her heart is usually in the right place. I don't know what her goal was, but... None of your business, McComfrey. And we were back to silence. Part of me felt bad for being rude, but a much larger, louder part of me was exhausted and apathetic. Focused on only two things. Staying awake and keeping the small bag of tools I'd stowed on a belt under my dress from rattling. The city cemetery was quiet, the only sound being the crunch of gravel under tires as more people arrived to gather for the graveside service. Nobody spoke above a murmur. People clung to each other. It was a moment of sorrow and remembrance. Everyone exchanged hugs and entwined hands. Except us. Lawrence and I had arrived and were instantly given a wide berth. I heard that familiar title being whispered. Felt that familiar brand in my forehead, the one I went out of my way to stay away from for so many years. The nickname given to me by the paper 10 years ago. Pyro Girl. I felt the stairs burning it into my back as we turned heads. Thankfully, their attention was split between me and the dark stranger to my left. Lawrence. The man that I'd ridden into town tried to stay low, and was just now being seen as a threat thanks to me, the catalyst to the recent tragedies. We stood in the middle of the crowd piled under the dark green tent. It felt like most of the city was there. I looked straight ahead, avoiding any eye contact, my face going red from the stairs. I silently prayed my parents were lost in the crowd. That was the last thing I needed on a day like today. I spot Franklin at the front of the crowd along with Morgan and Dora another group of people I had no interest in mingling with. Everyone wears black with the exception of Dora, who sports an all-white pantsuit. A move to be expected from someone who calls black a happy color. It's then that I feel a strong presence to my right. An arm slips itself around my shoulders and I glance up to find my cousin Henry standing there, being the strong, silent strength he's always been. He and Lawrence give each other a firm nod of recognition before Lawrence slips through the crowd to join Dora near the front. Okay, so I was to be babysat. Understood. Henry doesn't ask me how I've been. We both know the answer. We just stand in companionable silence as I look at the ground to avoid the stairs or accidentally catching my parents' eyes somewhere in the crowd. Henry stares after the little reunion of friends and the new stranger, no doubt wishing he was over there instead of watching me. He watches Dora the closest, tracking her melancholy smile. I'm reminded that they used to be as close as Dora and I once were. Yet another relationship destined to never be repaired. The hearse arrived then and the crowd's murmuring ceased. The pallbearers get into position and a violin near the front of the tent begins playing the melancholy tune of Amazing Grace. And somehow the melody is sadder than usual. Henry gave my shoulder one final squeeze before releasing me and turning his attention towards the procession in Bastershaw. I made my escape. Marjorie Eleanor Bradford, what do you think you're doing? Don't try and stop me, Lawrence. I would never. Dora had spent the last two days trying to convince me not to break into the Tucker's mausoleum. An impressive goal when you're being ignored. 
My silence hadn't deterred her, though. She'd taken to recite aloud the various Georgia laws on grave robbing and unlawful taking of human remains. Considering Dora had been slipping me federally illegal drugs until very recently, her shift to lawful good had given me mental whiplash. But the dead had always been precious to Dora. Lawrence stayed true to his word and didn't try and stop me, just followed behind quietly, even going so far as to continually glance behind us to make sure nobody was following. I broke from the paved path, making my way through the headstones, down a grassy hill, into a classically southern wood. This was the antique side of the city cemetery, the side dotted with crumbling statues and burial plots caved in from age. The oldest marked headstones dated back 200 years and had belonged to someone here before Harker or the surrounding cities had been established. Not to mention all the unmarked graves. We passed the statue of a mother holding her twin babes. Lawrence took in the eerie, weather-torn figure amongst the morning fog. They say she's a young mom that died in childbirth, along with both her babies. There's an old Harker rumor that she weeps blood if you walk around her grave 12 times and ask her where her kids are. Henry, Morgan, and Franklin did it once in high school and left me and Dora to stand watch at the cemetery gate. They said the statue didn't work for middle schoolers. Of course, they ran out screaming and haven't spoken of it since. Dora and I still laugh at the looks on their pale faces. Scared shitless. Dora also still claims that Franklin wet himself. He has since denied those accusations. I'm sure he has. Finally, we reached the mausoleum with the name Tucker clearly engraved above the entrance. It was worn and rounded, obviously old. Sure you don't want to stop me? Do you want me to stop you? I glared at him. I had expected a chain with an old lock, not this. The gate was swung open and the entrance bordered over with plywood. The words, keep out, spray painted over it. Probably simple high school vandalism. Still, it was out of place among the other well-kept mausoleums with their pretty oxidized gates. Then I realized, I brought bolt cutters. They're not going to work on this. I'm going to have to come back. Bolt cutters? Where? Strapped to my leg. They're useless. Lauren sighed my puffy, knee-length dress as if trying to work out where I could have possibly hidden bolt cutters. That's not a winning attitude. I turned to make my way back to the cemetery and whirled around. Lawrence had busted through the plywood with his heel and now tore the remaining wood away from the entrance. I watched in astonishment. If anyone asks, that was you. I followed him into the mausoleum. It seemed bigger on the inside. The marble structure had one small vent, standard for letting out the smell of decay, but no other light source. The space was round, and every inch was made up of shelves to hold urns. Some of the urns had names and some didn't. Some appeared old and some newer. Lawrence pulled out two heavy flashlights from under his jacket and two sets of latex gloves. I took one of each with a glare of skepticism. If anyone asks, you brought the gloves too. Noted. All the label ones look newer, so I guess we'll look for John's name. We took opposite sides of the space. Cobwebs were everywhere. I was left little choice but to walk through them, sending a chill down my spine each time. They were in my hair and latched onto my skin. They clung to my eyelashes. Lawrence didn't look much better. His black, clean-cut suit covered in dust from breaking through the entrance. And oh, was there a lot of dust. Some shelves were thickly coated while others were less so. I focused on the latter. 
Our flashlights scanned each shelf in the dark room. I began to notice a small symbol etched into the nameplates of several urns. I leaned in closer. An eye. Found it. John Tucker. Let me guess, if anyone asks, I found him. Now you're getting it, Bradford. It's fused or glued into place. I hiked my skirt up to my waist without second thought. Lawrence raised his eyebrows slightly, but to his credit, didn't react beyond that. Until I dug a hammer and chisel out of the tool belt around my bare waist. I pulled my skirt back down and went to work on the urn, and Lawrence once again studied my dress like a puzzle box. I need to start wearing dresses. Urn in hand, we exited the mausoleum and retreated back through the antique headstones. We'd gotten ten steps before I heard it. I grabbed Lawrence by the back of his jacket and yanked him behind the crying statue. I cradled John's faux urn in my arms and thanked the gods that Lawrence had brought tape to seal it securely. Lawrence stayed quiet. The only sound was our breaths. I thought I heard someone behind us. Let's get out of here. Get the urn off my desk. What's a little human remains among friends? Lawrence, I spent a lot of time thinking about death. I even dated a mortician for a while. And eventually, you learn enough to be cautious. Also, you two look like hell. Do I want to know? And she's gone. Still not talking. Good to know. Hey, does John know what you two just did? No idea. Did anyone notice we were gone? No idea. Not so fast, Lawrence. I have a bone to pick with you. Are you aware that what you just helped Jory do is a felony? Believe it or not, yes. And you don't see a problem with you, an outsider, helping Jory, a social outcast, commit a crime in a town that doesn't trust either of you in the first place. Listen, you make a strong point, but it felt like the right thing to do. And I would hope you, of all people, could understand crossing lines to do the right thing. Just don't let your guilt over not being able to save John cloud your judgment. And don't forget your little urn friend. Oh, hey. Find anything interesting in here? Oh, sure. Nothing better than a dusty book, am I right? I had made a beeline to find John as soon as we'd returned. I had hoped to avoid Dora, but she'd stopped in to work between the funeral and wake, so that hadn't happened. But I had found John in the Oakland House Library, a room just big enough for its wall-to-wall shelves and single armchair, where John now sat. He had a stack of old books queued up, a full day ready to be spent with his small joy. I thought I should give these back to you. I produced from my pocket the letters I had taken from John's house what felt like a lifetime ago. 
all the way back at the beginning. What? How did you get these? Lawrence helped me get into your house after you disappeared. They were the only thing that seemed important. Do you mind if I speak candidly? Sure. They're disturbing, John. They're kind of supposed to be, I guess. Look, I, I know you wrote more letters and left them other places, too. And I, I was just wondering why. At first, it was denial. I didn't want to think he was dead, and I thought he may come looking for me, so I left them whenever I moved. I mean, my dad could find me, after all. How hard could it be? But as I came to accept he was gone, it kind of became a journal to his memory. What do you want, John? I want to stop running. I have for a while, even if it means facing something that's always terrified me. Then I'll do everything in my power to make that happen. Weekly podcast produced and written by Theodora. Edited by Seth Johnson. Music by Theodora. Special thanks to voice actors Katie Collier, Joseph Teagle, and Amy Collier. Find us at our website at www.thatcreepypodcast.com and our Instagram at thatcreepypodcast. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.